Let Him Go Barefoot is a podcast that dives into all things parenting and education through the lens of mindful awareness. Conversations aim to bring forward patterns, beliefs, and attitudes that shape our expectations and ideas about what it means to raise healthy children. With the blend of science, ancient wisdom, and intuition, we will explore ways to support, nurture, and connect with our growing children while also nurturing and expanding ourselves. I am grateful you are here. Hey everyone, welcome to episode 22 of the Let Him Go Barefoot podcast and the first episode of 2023. We are kicking off the new year with a little lesson in archetypes, which are considered to be universal, innate dispositions across cultures that influence how we behave and interact with one another. Many of you may be familiar with archetypes and how they are used in psychology, literature, and movies, which we do talk about, but mostly we discuss how they show up and influence us on a personal and a societal level. Hopefully you will walk away from this conversation with a basic understanding, but more importantly, an awareness about how they may be consciously or unconsciously driving you. If this is your first time tuning into the podcast, welcome. I'm very glad you're here. I'm your host, Missy Willis, a veteran unschooling mom of two, former special education teacher, turned self-directed education advocate, and the creator of the Barefoot Playground, a virtual space for parents to gather to talk about things related to education, relationships, child development, neuroscience, and more. Speaking of, mark your calendars for this year's kickoff event, which will be Thursday, February the 16th at 6 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. Cindy Gaddis will be joining me. She's the author of the book, The Right Side of Normal, Understanding and Honoring the Natural Learning Path for Right Brain Children. She was also a guest on my podcast, not once, but twice. We had to do a part one and part two because there was so much information to cover. Now she's going to join me on the playground so that you will have access to her directly. You can ask her questions and consider it like a conference class, a class you would take in a conference or a seminar but it's just virtual. So I hope you can join us for that. Okay, so I've talked enough. I think I've updated you. Please be sure to follow me over on social media um, on let him, on Instagram at Let Him Go Barefoot. And um, let's get into this great conversation that I had with my longtime friend, Sheila Rumble, where we discuss archetypes, conscious and unconscious behaviors, being in shadow or in light, and how to show up as our best selves, even when the world feels chaotic. Enjoy. Hello, everybody. Today, I have Sheila Rumble on the podcast. Sheila and I have been friends for, let's think about this, Sheila, um, since 19 years. I'm like 19 something. <laughs> <laughs> no, that's not right. Two, 2007? Oh, gosh. Yeah. Babies. Yes, because baby, baby, well... Do we, we want to say, say baby names? <laughs> we'll keep baby uh, names. We don't have to, but we'll just <laughs> yeah. say, yeah, babies. Babies. So Sheila and I met through the homeschool community and became friends and sisters. Yep, yep. So I asked Sheila to join me on the podcast today because she brings to the table such wisdom and insight in the world of understanding ourselves and the human experience. Um, through archetypes and archetypal study, through the energies of masculine and feminine, and how we show up in the world and the impacts that our experiences have on us and also our, I guess, temperaments and personalities and how all those play out 
And given the fact that we have a lot going on in the world in so many different areas, it seems like a, a logical choice to bring Sheila forward and ask her to share with us her wisdom. So welcome, Sheila. Oh, thank you. Uh, thank you. Um, you know, as you said, we met first in the the homeschooling community, and I think we've watched each other grow over the past 15 years and, and morph into, um, into how we're showing up now and also just been supportive of each other, especially um, these days when the world has just seemingly gotten so crazy. Mm-hmm. And um, so I started out, I'm actually, um, as you know, I started out as a chemist and um, I kind of got into this other realm when I was trying to heal an autoimmune condition and um, Western medicine, everything they gave me just wasn't working or I was reacting to it. And that took me into herbal medicine. And then that has kind of branched into all these other modalities, but basically centered around healing the self. And um, as part of that, and why I think um, this topic is so interesting, one of the best ways that we can know ourselves is to understand archetypal patterns, Mm. because as humans, we're so complex. And any one of us has a multitude of archetypal patterns, whether they're with us most of the time or they only show up here and there. But it does give us a way to break our personalities, which are very complex, down into parts and pieces that we can look at. We can look at um, a particular archetype and how it behaves and not only understand ourselves better, but also how we're interacting with others. And it, and it brings a level not only of awareness, but also it, it allows us to have some compassion mm. for how we respond to different things. I think that's a really good point to make because sometimes, at least in the self-help world, there's kind of a almost an over emphasis on fixing ourselves and or focusing on the problems and Mm -hmm. not enough grace for why we are where we are or even accepting the fact that it's just part of the journey and it's okay that we're kind of in a slump right now or you know everybody has bad days and bad times and weird moments and it's not to say that this is where it's going to stay it just means that you know right now we're in some space that we need to be curious and look into this a little bit more and maybe wonder why maybe something happened to get us to where we are. So can you, okay, so this is difficult. I will say, I'm going to say this out loud. This is difficult because you and I tend to sit, we would sit in cars in waiting on our daughters (laughs) to to finish their horse lessons and have like hours long conversations. So to try to put all this information into a podcast in a little like nice, neat format is definitely kind of difficult and challenging for us. Um, but we're going to try because I think this topic is so important. And I think given what, like we said, what we're experiencing in the world on the individual level, on the um, local level, and then of course, globally, it feels chaotic at this time. And Mm -hmm. some of it, and you and I've talked about this, some of it, I wonder, is it because of the fact of social media, because we have access to information 24 seven, and we know when something happens as soon as it happens And it overwhelms our nervous system. And we almost feel like we have to respond to it because to not respond to something that's terrible and sad and scary seems like not a very nice thing to do. 
So yeah, how do we square the overload of information with responding in such a way where we can be helpful, but not overwhelm ourselves with responsibilities and this kind of need to do something about it? Like, how does that play out in the (laughs) archetypes, I guess? I know. That's a big one. We can break it down if we need to. Well, I mean, what I would say is that I think part of, I think social media does play into it because whenever we're triggered, what's actually happening is that we have a particular archetype that is responding to Ah. whatever's been said or seen. And so I think if you were to look at it archetypally, what's happening is, and it depends, it really depends on, on who you're, you know, who you're studying, you know, who presents these archetypes. I said that terribly, but, but um, for example, Carolyn Mace does a lot with archetypes and she says in, in her, in her framework that everyone has 12 main archetypes. And, and then you have sometimes others, but 12 big players. So whether or not you believe that, but let's just work with that. Let's just say that, that we have 12 big players in, in our archetypal realm. Like, so, okay. So an archetype, you would look at it almost like components of our personality. Right. And doesn't she also say, sorry, doesn't she also say, or maybe at somebody, everybody says this, that there's like four main archetypes that we all have. Well, she does say we have four main. Now, I don't know, like Young did a lot of work with archetypes. Mm-hmm. I don't know that he said that, um, but basically what's generally accepted is that everyone has a child archetype. Okay. And so in her frame, her frame of reference, the child is one of the the survival archetypes. And in fact, it's almost like the master archetype because it is going to be the one that's going to trigger um, particularly the other three survival archetypes. So just so everybody kind of knows what those are. Um, and like I said, I'm not sure that Young ever went this direction. Okay. But they both say we have the child. Um, mm-hmm. I think that's generally accepted. Carolyn Mace also includes for everyone, the victim, the saboteur, and the prostitute. And so what the child is concerned with is making sure needs are met. Mm-hmm. Right. And you can see how that can be a really big one for pretty much everyone because uh, depending on how we grew up, and that doesn't mean that you had to have a bad childhood or a good childhood. Both people are equally susceptible to having that child and the the needs of the child left unmet, you know, whether it was intentional or unintentional or just circumstances, you know, everybody sort of has that um, child that can rear up and feel like its its needs aren't being met. And then once that happens, it can trigger the other three in various ways. Okay. So when you said that, it immediately made me think of all the conversations and the talk about the inner child. Is that the same thing? Yes. Yeah. Uh, a slightly, probably in some circumstances, a slightly different okay. flavor. Because in this paradigm what you're looking at the the inner child like there's a lot of talk about the inner child and being playful and all that and that that Mm -hmm. is important but when you're looking at it in this particular context what you're looking at basically are needs being met Mm. and so of which playfulness is only one aspect okay and so 
yeah, if that child is feeling like their its needs aren't being met, then it can trigger the victim. And of course, the victim, a lot of these have different meanings, right? Depending on how you're looking at it. But basically, uh, the victim is about needing help or asking for help or, you know, kind of where you are in that realm. The saboteur is going to be about getting you out of particular situations. And then the prostitute negotiates your worth and your value. Mm. So we can have a negative connotation of those words, especially something like prostitute or saboteur. But in reality, they are keeping us safe and they're they're very good at what they do. And so when you're looking at it from that context, um, for instance, the prostitute uh, negotiating self-worth, the prostitute in shadow, right, would be a sellout, would sell out the worth of the self for mm. material or whatever. Um, but this, the prostitute in light negotiates a high self-worth. I see. Okay. And, and brings you into alignment with situations that, that value who you are. Um, so, so yeah, those are the four main ones that are concerned with survival. And I think what's happening right now in, in the chaos of the world is that, first of all, those four are very active right now because any time... Would you say they're active on the individual level and active on like a social level? Oh, yeah, so would definitely. You say like, yeah. Okay. So like we have them an in individual, but then we also have it like played out on the bigger stage. Right, right. And and okay. so, and when you think about them being survival, um, because there's so much chaos, I mean, think about a child in a very chaotic, unfamiliar environment, right? And and so we're, we're all right. experiencing this to an extent where... And like I said, the child is kind of the master archetype and in many ways, and it will trigger, if it is triggered, it often triggers at least one of the other three along with it. And um, so we're seeing a lot of that play out. And then- So can we, you, I'm sorry if I'm no, interrupting okay. flow, tell me, but I, it, it <laughs> that's just, okay. whenever you say that, it makes me want to have like a concrete example. So it's like, can we- I'm trying to think of something for myself that I can use as like an example of the child sort of in shadow and the child sort of in light. Cause that's the other piece of it too, is that it's the, the archetypes are neither they're neutral, right? Yes. They're, yes. They're neutral, well, so they're neutral when they're in balance, imbalance, um, but okay. they, they all have light and dark aspects. Right. And so that's kind of what I was saying, especially um, with the saboteur or the prostitute, sometimes the name reflects for us more of a negative attribute. But the reality is that they also have that positive when they're viewed in a particular light. And so mm -hmm. some of that is perspective. Uh, but to give you an example, like a child can, in today's world, let's say you're on social media and you say something with good intentions and, you know, well-meaning, and you get attacked for what you're saying. So you, you're being genuine you're being honest with how you feel, but in today's cancel culture, you get blasted. So mm -hmm. there's a variety of, <laughs> of ways this can play out, right? But let's just pick one and we'll say the prostitute. So if the prostitute were operating in shadow, and what that means a lot of times when we're talking about shadow is um, more of an unconscious yeah. um, uh, kind of knee-jerk reaction, the prostitute in shadow might 
say, okay, nobody agreed with me. I'm going to change how I'm going to change my stance to match what, what is generally out there is accepted. So even though I feel that's kind of that sellout sort of, exactly. idea. Like I don't really, yeah, I'm not staying in alignment with my own values because it's too uncomfortable to stand my ground. Right. I need to shift. Right. Okay. And, but the prostitute in light, so the prostitute in, and when you're, when you're coming at this in a conscious manner, the prostitute says, I know, <laughs> I know that I came at this fully aware I have considered all the options and I am good with what I believe, even if I have to stand against everyone. Yeah. And so in that regard, you can see that the prostitute is holding up the value of the self. Gotcha. And, um, and yeah, so, I mean, that's one way that it can play out. And, and like I said, it all really depends on kind of what, you know, are you reactive or do you have the space to take a break and kind of consider everything and take a breath? And we don't always. Mm-hmm. Um, and so that's why this can be tricky sometimes to navigate. But um, yeah. Yeah. No, that's a great example because it, it's true and it's consistently going on and and I don't see an end in sight. And I, I feel that the, the need to bring to everyone's attention this idea of light and dark and the, like the yin and the yang and the chaos and order and all those, you know, opposites of, of existence is good to bring forward because, you know, unless you're directly taught that and, or someone mentors you in that way, a lot of people don't really recognize that there are the opposites of everything, you know, and just like you use the word prostitute, you hear that word and immediately people, I would imagine, I'm just making an assumption here that a lot of people go towards the negative connotation. Um, and you know, right. as you're talking about it, I'm sitting here thinking, oh, I'm gonna be looking out for some good old prostitutes now. <laughs> <laughs> right. Like, well, and there used to be sacred prostitutes. I mean, just to give more of a context to that word, um, the temples had sacred prostitutes and they were highly esteemed because of the role they played in the society and in the religion of the time. So, you know, again, a lot of these contexts come from our modern okay. interpretation, but they haven't always okay. had that. And um, and if that gives anybody kind of that allowance to um, broaden mm-hmm. their their perspective of not everything is all good or all bad. That's actually um, the the rare cases. If you think of a bell curve, right, most of it's going to lie somewhere in the yeah. middle, where where the the extremes are the all, or um, sorry, where the extremes are either or, mm-hmm. and it's a very small percentage. Yes. But we live in a world that wants to live in either or. I see, right? It has to be and this way. It's or a that very way. unnatural yeah. state, right? Yes, and it's a very unnatural state, and so that is part of why, as well, um, that the archetypal our archetypal patterns are getting triggered. Because so it's triggering our survival, but it's also triggering in a lot of ways the others that we would have predominant in our in our in our personality. Okay. So for someone example for just as an example, someone who is a mother, right, is probably going to feel particularly challenged in this current environment because of what's going on in the educational system or in the medical system and 
and I don't have to go any further than that, but I think um, a lot of mother archetypes feel very challenged right mm-hmm. now and in an exaggerated way than, you know, they might have felt 10 or 20 years ago. And would ago. you say that they're exaggerated simply because they feel like they have to be louder than they normally would have been because they're not being listened to? Or you think it's exaggerated because there's so much going on simultaneously? I think because there's so much going on simultaneously. And when you say the mother I archetype, th- that doesn't necessarily mean females. It it means it could be, could is there a mother archetype in, in men? Or is this solely for women? Um, no, there can be, there's actually Mr. Mom is, is a modern archetype, Ah, which would be the, the, a man that stays home and, or that predominantly cares for children. Um, generally speaking, mothers are associated with women, right? Fathers with men, but that isn't always the case. Um, and, and it makes sense that it's not always the case because we all contain, masculine and feminine qualities and so right and in, in, in a blend kind of the same way we were talking about with archetypes we have them existing in some kind of harmonic state um and that that isn't always 50 50 and mm-hmm. so depending on you know it's not really linked to women or men it's just more common in women and fatherhood is more common in men okay but yeah anybody can have you know, just like the career mom, we just name it a little different, but the career mom might present more of what we would traditionally consider associated with fathers, you know, mm-hmm. um, especially if in that case, the man is caring more for their children. Right. I want to dig into that a little bit more, the whole energy part, the masculine and the feminine energy and the need for it to be pr- appreciated and respected as such. And also that we need each other. Because I feel as a mom, so this is my mother archetype coming out, I am overwhelmed mm-hmm. by the amount of negativity towards men in our society and have been witnessing that for quite some time. This idea that all men are blank or all such, you know, the, the idea of taking any category of people, person, and putting them in the exact same category to me is, you know, that's just an unhealthy yeah. way to yeah. view a situation in my mind, um, because we're, we're trying to say that if you fit this one particular descriptor, then all of these things are true about you. And we know that that's very simplistic thinking and it doesn't benefit anybody because we're not narrowing in on the specifics of what it is that we're worried about. So, so we've talked about this, you know, many, many times about the, the swinging sort of Mm-hmm. this push to almost malign masculinity because there's this idea that to be masculine equals to be controlling and overpowering right, or right. somehow in a negative light. So, I mean, what would you, what would you say about that or what, what's your insight there? Well, I mean, another conversation that we've had that I think is important is it's almost like the pendulum swing. So, Mm. and it's not always about reality. It's about the perception. And so if you see the masculine as those traits as being dominant and controlling, then what tends to happen is that then you would counteract that with the exact opposite, right? Um, Going to the other Mm -hmm. extreme. And where you would be, 
you know, cultivating the super nurturing and all that. We haven't seen that, which is kind of interesting because um, what we have seen instead is the feminist movement. I don't even know if you want to go in this direction, but the feminist movement really wasn't about embracing feminine qualities. It was really more about competing with men in a man's world. And it's always easy to look back and, you know, kind of critique what happened. Um, I can understand why that, that approach happened, but it never really brought us into any kind of balance. Um, which would normally happen. Okay. So the feminist movement specifically was not necessarily adding more femininity, but it was adding more masculinity. Is that what I'm understanding? Right. Okay. Right. It wasn't ever really promoting the feminine aspects of women and rising those up in value. It was changing the way that females presented their femininity and in society. And basically it was just suppressed. Interesting. Okay. Increasing the masculinity so that they were competing almost on a, a a more level playing field. Okay. And so, you know, now what has happened is instead of, so every archetype and a female mass, you know, the feminine, the masculine, those are both archetypes just as much as everything else is. Right. They all want to exist in some sort of balance. And like we said earlier, it's very rare to actually be all, we're usually some sort of harmonization of the two okay, and whatever proportion that looks like, but it's very rarely all or nothing, but that's not what happened with the masculine and feminine. So that's what I think we're trying to correct now. But again, we're now we've just swung everything the other direction, um, in almost like this extreme response to it Mm -hmm. when what we really need is for everyone just to, I mean, really, if everyone just kind of took this as an archetypal pattern and said, okay, so I have this masculine and this feminine energy that coexists within my body. It's not necessarily 50, 50. It's just whatever proportion feels right to me. And we went with that. It would be, so much healthier, right? Of course it would be mm-hmm. than than what we're what we're seeing now, which is like you said, kind of putting everybody in these in these buckets of and and they're either or buckets and yes. there's no middle ground. And so everybody's right. you've got to pick one bucket or the other bucket and that's it. Those are the only options. Yes. Yes. Well and then when you look at this from a societal perspective, from from where I sit and the world that I'm in and the information that I consume, I do feel like there's a call of the soul to be more compassionate and, and, and nurturing. And, and especially in the realm of the education world and the parenting circles, which is we've been so like the whole idea of the patriarchy and there's lots of words being thrown around right now, capitalism, even, you know, all these things are being thrown into this bucket of bad when as you've said before, there's a dark side to everything. And mm-hmm. capitalism, for instance, isn't not in and of itself a bad idea. It's how it gets utilized for the benefit of those who are utilizing it. Are the people right. engaging in capitalistic ideas in shadow or are they doing it in a yeah. conscious manner? So to right. me, it's right. not 
capitalism, it's capitalism in shadow. Right. So if you're the type no, of No, that's exactly. Okay. Yeah. Okay. So you can almost take that that same sort of idea and place that as a template onto everything. So every, you know, word that's being thrown around right now, as a matter of fact, I'm even going to throw out the word bully because when my kids were younger, mm -hmm. it seemed like that was the topic. Everybody's a bully. If you looked at somebody mm -hmm. wrong, you're a bully. If you said something about somebody, you're a bully. It was just used, used, used. And that's actually an archetype, correct? Mm -hmm. And it's so funny because I was actually going to bring that up earlier. Really? That's one of the archetypes. Yeah. That's yeah. Funny. That one and vampire are two that come up a lot. Okay. Um, But there's only a certain um category of people that um, I see choose those. And it's very interesting when I see them choose it because it, to me, means that they are very conscious of how they're behaving. Most people don't want them because they have such a negative connotation. Um. But for instance, the bully is a great example because, right, and we know the, the typical context, right, of what it is, but there's a light side to the bully that is very powerful and, and it serves two functions. One, a bully has, if it's used consciously, and again, it's hard, it's hard to have this conversation because we have a mental construct of what a mm -hmm. bully is. Mm -hmm. And so when you try to talk about it in a positive context, people think that you're like, um, you're saying it's okay to be a bully. Yeah. And it, it that's not what we're you're saying. You're trying to we're support saying, the aggressor. You're not trying to support right. that. You're just saying, hey, listen to it in this context and maybe it'll make right. a little more sense. Okay. And so a bully has, though, behind it a force of energy. And so when you look at it from that perspective, how is that force of energy being applied? Is it being um, an aggressor or a perpetrator? Or conversely, are you using that force of energy um, to propel something forward that needs to be propelled forward? Mm. And so it's really the context of how you're applying it and whether you're doing it unconsciously and hurtful or whether you're applying it constructively and consciously. Mm -hmm. and, um, and then the other aspect of the bully in light is that a bully in light is the perfect... Um, antithesis to the bully in shadow. So if, if you have a bully problem, what you want to remedy that is the bully that's in light mm. because they balance each other. Um, and so uh, the vampire does the same thing. It's the, if you have someone who um, has that kind of vampiric quality, they're just always drawing off of you and pulling off of you. The person that responds the best to that is actually someone who has that vampire archetype as well, but has brought it into the light um, because they understand what the shadow, what's happening with the shadow and how unconscious it is, and they know how to respond to it. Mm. So, yeah, sometimes the the archetypes that we have villainized or, you know, kind of we talk about them as being bad are... Um, it's almost like the, the poison is the cure. Have you heard mm, that? Mm -hmm. I think, am I saying that right? <laughs> I might not have gotten that right. Something along those lines. And so um, in, in many ways, that's kind of what we're seeing. But, but our society doesn't want to react that way. Our society is like, we, we deem it as bad. We don't want to, you know, we're very um, one-dimensional in how we assign it good or bad. And it's, it's either good or it's bad. 
And, and if it's bad, we just want to completely destroy it and get rid of it. Mm-hmm. And that isn't, that's not going to really get us very far, unfortunately. And, and, and again, the whole push that I'm seeing in a positive way of trying to get us more in balance and trying to get us back to what really matters and to, to stop, well, to essentially get back to what's more natural as far as the existence of humans in relationship with one another and in smaller like communities where we have a common purpose and goal. Um, I'm wondering if when you were talking about the bully and the vampire, I always try to think of um, an example, like a physical in physical form, someone who may represent that in shadow and represent that in, in light. And I always draw from, movies and you know fairy tales because that's to me if you really pay attention to any movie like harry potter you know or all the marvel movies you can all you can almost see all these archetypes playing out and maybe you know and maybe we should talk about the movie that we saw in the movie theater (laughs) the uh Oh, okay. I'm like, oh, which one was that? Um, which one was it? Oh my gosh, Sheila. Um, it's the one where um, WandaVision. Was it the Doctor yes, Strange? There we go. Okay, WandaVision well, wasn't. It was Doctor. It was Strange, Doctor Strange, but it was Wanda, the the uh, the wizard witch. Oh, Wanda. right, okay. right, yes. right. The mother. Yeah, because I remember I was like, oh, that's the dark yes, mother, or yes. whatever, whatever. And I, said. I just remember. Yeah, <laughs> we watched that movie in the theater <laughs> with our kids, and I we all walk out, and I'm like, well, that was wild. And um, you were like, oh, I loved it. And I'm like, oh my god, she was crazy. But you see it you saw it as that whole, like, that's the mother in shadow. And so can we talk about yeah. that a little bit? Because I think that's a great representation. If people haven't seen the movie, it's Dr. Strange. I honestly can't remember the other part of it. It's the, it's the most yeah, recent Dr. Strange like movie. One, the second. Yeah. I think it was the second one. Um, and honestly, I don't even remember, like I have such a short memory <laughs> that I don't remember exactly what happened, which is good. Cause that way we're not giving any spoilers, but yeah, I mean, you're right because in literature, Um, and I don't remember if we said this when we were recording or not, but as we've had archetypal patterns, as long as we've had stories, because that's what stories are built around. And it, and it's a, a way to break down these complex human personalities into something that is understandable Mm -hmm. and that we can work with. And so that movie in particular was so great because it was the mother in shadow and but she wasn't she couldn't see that she was in in shadow we could only see it really um you know from the outside looking in um because she thought that she was doing what yeah. was best right um would that i think i'm remembering the right no, one. Are. Oh my gosh now i think i'm getting multiple <laughs> no, <you> mixed are. <laughs> up you're remembering it and also would that would that be the same thing as devouring mother yeah, I mean, I think um, it, it depends. There's so many mother okay. archetypes. And um, it's probably, a, along with child, there's a lot of ch- sub-child archetypes. Um, mother probably has equally as many. So you can have, I mean, I, I made some notes here. Oh, You can have so many. Like traditionally, you have the nurturing mother, the neglectful mother, the devouring mother, which is uh, um, a more extreme form the fairy godmother. I mean, you know, there's all of these, the virgin mother, uh, earth mother, birth mom, adopted mom, mm-hmm. mother bear. So we have like an abundance of these archetypes and it it, it kind of depends on, I guess, 
what uh, what framework you're using, but but essentially the devouring mother. I mean, I don't know because I don't remember the details of the movie enough. But the devouring mother is a mother who is who quite honestly never really developed her child, her inner child, that child survival archetype that isn't fully developed or, and by that I mean brought into consciousness. And so what's happening is she's feeding off of her children in order to feed her inner child. And, and as you know, as a mother, that's how, that's a one direction street, you know, the mother nurtures the child, the child doesn't nurture the mother, not in that way. And, um, and so when we get into that situation, that's the devouring mother and it can look different. Um, I guess different circumstances like Munchausen. Oh gosh. If I said that right. Um, but that's an example of the devouring mother, but that's an extreme, but all the way down to, I wish when I was younger, I had Mm. done. And so therefore now I want you to do that, you know, because I couldn't live out my life the way that I wanted to. And now I want you to do it. And that can be tricky because sometimes, I mean, that's, we have valid reasons for feeling that way. You know, maybe we made poor choices when we were younger and we would like to not see our children make those same choices um, and maybe suffer or struggle the way that we did. So it can be kind of a tricky, you know, a tricky, just like in the movie where she didn't really see what she was doing as being the mother in shadow but the mother in light sees my child, even though I want to protect and nurture them, they also have the right to make their own choices, especially as they get older. And um, there's a point where I have to step back and let them do mm-hmm. that. Um, and so there's there's a balance to, and but that's why we say all the archetypes have that kind of light and shadow balance. And it just depends on how conscious you are of, of what's happening yeah. and how you're responding. Right. Well, and so... And like you said earlier, too, that even Carolyn May says that there's 12 kind of active, but is it also true that there are different ones that are active based on where you are in your life? Oh, yeah. Yeah. Okay. So they can flip flop and move around based on your particular experiences, who you're interacting with, maybe a job. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. Life. So you'll have different ones come out in different circumstances, but you will also have, so this is an example that she gives, which I think is just so, so interesting. So for instance, a person won't always manifest the mother until she gets to be a certain age. So the mother is actually part of the Trinity of maiden mother crone. And so as a child, you may not, uh, you may not um, exhibit the mother or you might, you might be the child that has brought home all the animals to, to care for and, you know, to heal. That can be a manifestation, but others um, wouldn't, wouldn't manifest the mother until they're getting to the point of considering to have children. So, um, but she gives a great example of, of how these can work, because basically what we do is all of our archetypes want to be in balance in whatever balance um, is healthiest for us. And sometimes the way that they come into balance is through interaction and sometimes conflict with another person who has an archetype that challenges ours. And so there's, it's almost that um, it's not coming to me, but the story, um, there was like an earth dome, eco dome, where they planted trees okay. 
Do you know what I'm talking about? And they didn't, there was no wind, no anything. And so, but what they, what they found was when these trees grew under this very, in this very protected environment and they were given everything they needed, they were given all the food and nutrients they needed, all the water, but what they were finding was the trees would just fall down. Mm-hmm. And then, and then what they discovered was the trees really needed the wind, kind of the opposition of the wind to grow mm. really strong roots. So something similar can happen between archetypes. And so what she says is that in the beginning of a romantic relationship in that, um, what is that called? Like the dating oh, like phase a, or, you know, when everything is just the honeymoon well, that's, phase. Yeah, that could be maybe? the honeymoon phase in the, really, that's in the marriage part. But, oh my God, what? yeah, you're right. The basically in love phase, the puppy love. Yeah. Yeah. So when you're in that, um, kind of that uh, Romeo Juliet, (laughs) you know, like you'll have particular archetypes that bring you together, that draw you together. And so you're very, you know, like, um, a princess and a knight might be drawn together. Right. But then what happens is when you get married and especially at the point when you start to have children, you have a whole different set of archetypes that come online and, that's why you know that just that ceremony of getting married people have said you know everything mm-hmm. changed well everything did change because suddenly your archetypes yeah. changed the ones that were that were present and 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 really active and at that point it's you know the the initials to bring you together but then it's the opposition to get you to grow and um so that can look really interesting no i love that example and i i actually think we should even go more into that because it you know i like to find connections between different ideas of thought and when you said that it makes me think of like the neuroscience of being in love and what's happening in our bodies and our brains and the physiology and the chemicals and how we're putting our best foot forward because we're trying to win a mate over so to speak and then mm-hmm. but yet we're also in some cases consciously not showing part of ourselves because we feel we have a fear of if we let this out, (laughs) you know, but, but eventually it's going to surface. Is that true? I mean, is that correct to say that you can suppress a part of yourself in order to win the thing or get the prize or get the person or whatever it is you're aiming for, but eventually those pieces of you are going to surface and need to be addressed and what humans don't, they don't grow in isolation. Mm-hmm. You know, we have to grow by being around other people because they do exactly what you're saying. They show you sides of yourself that maybe you're blind to, or they, tri- they, they do something that triggers something in you that you haven't dealt with before or haven't dealt with in a long time. And now you're like, I need to bring this forward so I can address it. Oh, definitely. Yeah. I mean, and that's, um, that is the, from a divine standpoint, that's, um, and we, if we, you know, we talk about soul contract, that is what's happening is you're, you're coming together with someone that's going to present an opportunity to heal and, or to grow. And I just want to, I want to highlight that you come into contact with people who can help you heal or help right. you grow. And if we look at all interactions that way, think about how much more like oh yeah positive that is instead of being like that person on that app said the thing and made me mad and they're bad right. people. Well, maybe, maybe possible. You can take what they said, listen to it, sit with it, 
figure out why it made you feel that way and then kind of move forward. If you, if you get value out of it in some way, great. If you feel like you can't or don't, then, you know, yeah. that's okay too. But yeah, maybe not be so quick. The opposition or, or people that we consider to be our enemies actually present the greatest opportunity for us to grow and to heal. And even if, I mean, and this is where sometimes people are like, you know, um, you know, the whole idea of forgiveness and what that means. Um, sometimes you just, you know, it doesn't mean that you stay with them. Mm-hmm. So sometimes the lesson is you and I don't work well together. And I, I forgive you for that because I realize you're a teacher of some sort, but I realize that I need to take myself over here. Yeah. I mean, so that's an extreme form, but I mean, even, but it kind of illustrates the point that even our, what we consider to be our greatest um, opposition or our biggest enemies, kind of the same idea, archetype, I mean, it's, they're all archetypes, right? The idea of failure um, teaches us something, but what it's specifically doing is triggering our archetypal patterns in some kind of very specific way so that we can see, it's almost like if you had um, a panel of, of lights, right? And you're trying to diagnose where there's a disconnect. Um, it, it almost gives you that that lighted signal mm. that this is a point where you need to pay attention. Right. And um, so, yeah, we definitely do come together archetypally. And it's also an effort to kind of bring things into harmony. So we not only need to be in harmony with ourselves, but we need to be in harmony with other people and then with society as a whole. And so, you know, it's, it's that holographic, you know, there's all these different layers at which we need to be in harmony and the archetypes help us do that because it, like I said, it kind of pinpoints those, um, those places where we have a little bit of a, a sticking point or something that we need to kind of address Yeah, that maybe was never fully developed or, you know, whatever it was. Let's just say where, where would be a good place for people to go to learn more about archetypes and maybe even spend some time reading through the different explanations and descriptions and maybe even taking some sort of a quiz to kind of get an idea of what, where, where they are operating currently. It's not even correct language. Like, is that the way those archetypes? <laughs> they can schedule. They can schedule a session with me. That's true. Um, <laughs> that's true. Oh my god. No. Um, <laughs> well, like I said, Carolyn Mace has a ton of stuff on archetypes. Um, she does have a book called Sacred Contracts. Um, Young has done a lot of work with archetypes, but really, okay. So two things. Number one, a quiz is probably not the way to go. Because only because there are so many archetypal choices. And at the end of the day, it, it pays to pick. And so even with her, with her methodology, when you do kind of an archetypal reading, the client picks their archetypes. Mm. They're not picked for them. Okay. And um, so there's an awareness that comes even in picking which archetypes you feel are strongest. And it's hard to do because uh, typically when someone goes through, um, you know, she has, I think, probably 80, nearly 80 um, archetypes that she that she uses, but there's, there's so many more. Um, when someone goes through that and they're picking, you know, you have your four standard that are given, but so then you're picking eight. 
it's really hard to do. And a lot of people will end up with 12 or 14 and say, I, I'm having a hard time narrowing it down. Okay. So anyway, long story short, it, there's benefit to figuring out which archetypes seem to suit you. And that, that can be tricky for another reason as well. Again, because we talked about kind of the negative connotation, some of those archetypes have just in their name, they have kind of a negative connotation. So for instance, people tend to shy away from things like vampire or bully because if they, if they're not really versed in that archetype and how it can be in light, um, they don't want to choose it. So that can be one. So sometimes we don't pick the archetypes that make us feel warm and fuzzy. Sometimes, you know, you, you have to pick the things sometimes that you, you find challenging. Um, and so anyway, that I don't feel like I said that in a very organized way, but you do want to just kind of pick your own archetypes. You want to figure out what makes sense. And so some of them are given, you know, I mean, if you're a mother, um, you know, you're probably going to have mother in your set. Now you may, I mean, you may not, if that, if you, that doesn't feel like it drives your life. Right. Um, and for some mothers it doesn't, but for some, that is like one of their, their core, right? Um, would it be helpful? One of their would it be core, helpful to have somebody do it with you, like somebody you trust and respect, and like you know they know you. Like yes. if you were, so like you and yes. I could sit down with a list, and I could pick mine without telling you, and you could pick mine without me looking, and then we could kind of compare notes. Right. Well, usually what'll happen is you'll you'll pick. Um, this is kind of actually what she recommends too, and or through that you know framework that she's developed, you pick what you think, and then you ask people who are very close to mm-hmm. you. These are the ones I picked. What do you think? Okay. Is there? Do you think there's something I left out? And um, people, and it's it's interesting because um, if it's someone you trust and they know you well. Um, yeah, I mean, sometimes they see things that you don't mm-hmm. see and sometimes they see it in a pot. We're really hard on ourselves. That's what I find in my work is that people tend to be extremely hard on themselves much more than like, I'm going to gloss everything over. People are, they really, they just, uh, it, it, they don't believe in themselves and they don't believe, um, I mean, that's probably not the right way to say it, but they're just very self-critical. Okay. And so you might not pick the bully because it feels like, oh my gosh, um, you know, like I don't need one more thing, mm-hmm. <laughs> right? To to add to the list. But the other person might say, well, yeah, you can be a bully, but you're a bully when you're getting me to take my vitamins every day and, um, you know, do the things and to go for my walk every day. So, you, you know, yeah, you're a little intense, but you're doing it to get me to do the things that I need to be mm-hmm. doing. You know what I'm saying? So they can kind of frame it in a more positive yeah, way. Yeah, and I, I think of like the bully person in a in a corporate setting or a job setting where they may be really direct and forceful, but they're also a leader and they know how to do it in a way that pulls out the best qualities of each person versus bulldozing them. Right, right. Or embarrassing them or shaming them. Right. So it's not about you should be doing this and I can't believe this, that, and the other, but it's more like we all have the potential to make this happen and here's how it's going to go or something along that line. I mean, I I don't know if that's accurate or not, but it feels like it would be a positive side of the bully. Okay. Yeah. So that's, um, so definitely, and, and like we've already said, the movies and literature, and that's a great way um, also to get to know archetypes because typically they'll pick a archetype and an archetype and build 
around, build that character around that because it makes the story more understandable, right? I mean, you just Mm -hmm. don't, if you think about different movies, you don't typically have a character who's very multidimensional. Maybe occasionally if it's the main character where you can see growth through like the hero's journey or something, but typically they're picking an archetype and using that to represent or using the character to represent that archetype. So that's a great way to get to know them. And as you know, especially if you're a reader growing up, you know, what were the books that, you know, that you loved or the movies that you loved or the TV shows? Was there a character that really um, always felt like you? And that can be a good way to identify some of your archetypal patterns too. I think that would be an absolutely fun thing to do. Like to take all of our shows that we enjoy, and maybe we'll even talk about this real quick because you and I used to watch Grace and Frankie. Oh, yeah, yeah. And then we talked about the way that they presented each of those characters. And and I think that's 100% accurate. Like every character has an overblown it, right. uh, personality related to an archetype. Right. And that's what makes those shows so fun and funny because we know that none of those people really exist in isolation in our lives. We always see bits and pieces of those people in the people that we relate to, but we don't really have a Grace in our life or really have a Frankie in our lives. Right. Not to that extreme. Yeah. Not to that extreme. (laughs) Not to that extreme. Well, what's Mm -hmm. even a more fun thought is when you, when you look at that, you have Grace and you have Frankie and you have Brianna and I, I can't remember, but, but really we all, I mean, we might not have all of those depending on what our archetypal profile is. But if you think about, if you roll those all into one, that's really our personality as, I mean, and that's why we have a hard time because, you know, it Mm -hmm. just depends on which aspect of your personality is at the forefront. I mean, so one good example is when we get married and we have a fight or a disagreement, you know, when does the child show up? Well, at the point that the child shows up, you might as well just stop because that's not, you're not going any further, not in a constructive way. And, um, and so that's when it can get really interesting. Like if you, like for me, my child, my child is a door slammer. (laughs) And so Uh I know, I know at the point that I start to slam a door. Okay. All right. I got it. to tap out i i'm getting too like i'm i'm going into a different place i'm not showing up in an archetype that that can solve whatever's going on or or come to some resolution and um so that's why knowing your archetypes can be really powerful because when you start to identify who has just shown up to the party i mean it is like a party right and if you it had is. the high school party and then somebody showed up you're like oh boy it's going downhill now we might as well <laughs> shut it right we're gonna shut it down but that's the, the same thing that happens with our archetypes and you know we all yeah. have that archetype that shows up and just it's gonna ruin the whole party and if you mm-hmm. know who that is or or what traits they manifest um it can make your relationships a lot more productive yeah i i know i've said this to you before, I think of life as being just a nervous system experience, mm-hmm. you know, and our nervous system is constantly taking information in and making decisions and either making them on the fly or unconsciously, or depending on where we are in our life and our journey, are we being really conscious of the this the um, signals that are coming in and how we're interpreting them and how we're perceiving them. So it's kind of like that, I would imagine. But, but instead of 
thinking of it just by the body sensation being like, okay, who, who's, who's stepping up to respond to this? Right. Right. Like which part. And so it almost sounds like, you know, we have split personalities, but it's not that it's not the, like the completely disconnected. It's more, everything's interconnected and interwoven. Right. It's just that one section or one part has more of a voice depending on the situation and the circumstances. Right. I mean, you can think of it if it's helpful, like DNA, you know, DNA has four building blocks arranged in different patterns and that makes all the difference. Right. And in all of our Mm -hmm. physical um, expression, and then depending on which of those are, are activated versus inactivated, that's, you know, um, kind of the state of our, of our health and well-being as well. So yeah, they're all intermingled together. We just kind of, we use them so we can break them out almost as like, again, that building block that's a little bit more simple to, to look at. But it is interesting because you said, and again, this is kind of what's happening is we're living in a world that's unknown. We really can't, well, I mean, I guess we can kind of see where it looks like we're going, but I think, um, even from a homeschooling perspective right now it's it's the most challenging i have ever remembered it being because i don't even know what the world is going to look like in 10 years or 5 years mm-hmm. and so what are you preparing your child like before i mean especially when we were growing up like you kind of knew what how to you know um <laughs> I know what, I know what, what you you're needed, saying. I know. right? To step out in the world. And now you don't even really know what your children need in order to exist in this world that's in such a state of flux. And so even just that, if you if you just take that piece and not all the other confrontation and stuff like that that's going on in addition to it, but that brings us into that fight or flight state. And as soon as we're in that state, it's those four archetypes that are running the show. And um and they influence even, you know, so let's say if my four survival archetypes are active and my mother comes in, it does influence the mother and how she responds. And so there's always that kind of being aware that, okay, I know that these four are active and it's not a bad thing. I mean, they're doing it for protection, but it is being conscious of how they're doing it. So it would almost mm-hmm. be like, um, you know, if you, I think Elizabeth Gilbert uses the bus analogy, like who have you got riding in the bus with you? And, <laughs> right. And, and if your, um, you know, your saboteur is like, no, don't go down that road. It's dangerous. And they take the wheel from you. That's not a good situation. A better situation is mm-hmm. for the saboteur to just say, I think that road is dangerous. Let's not turn on it. And you listen. Right. Um, yeah. So that's kind of the same situation with the survival archetypes is, is being conscious enough of what they're trying to tell you to keep you safe so that they're not trying to take matters in their own hands and they're not negatively influencing um, the other archetypal patterns that bring, bring in extra and bring in kind of that um, takes you out of the survival state and into an expanded state. Um, because that's mm. what we need right now to get this all fixed in the world is we have enough survival archetypes that are expressing um, we, we need the mothers and the fathers and those that have that masculine feminine um, balance worked out and um, a whole host of others, obviously, but um, yeah, 
I'm so glad you said that because that's one of the things for me that has just really, it's just been hit on my heart a lot is to pull those people forward. Like, where are you? Mm -hmm. And I see you here and I see you there, but man, I would really like you to be on a bigger stage because I feel like people could learn so much from those who are representing the beauty of the human experience and the possibility of the, of the human experience in a healthy light. And we have so many people with microphones and, and, and platforms who are in shadow. Right. And they are spending a lot of energy and expressing a lot of stuff that isn't necessarily coming from a healthy place. Right. And so when you have a ton of people hearing that and then jumping on being like, well, they have a platform and they have a thing and they have a, a following. So therefore they must be right. You know, and this goes across the spectrum. Mm-hmm. I mean, just humans in general. I, I just wonder it does feel like there's a shift, but it sometimes feels like it only feels that way when you're looking at certain parts yeah. of our society. And then if you go over here, you feel like everything's falling down apart and nothing's ever going to be okay anymore. Yeah. And then you look over here and you're like, oh, wait a minute, I see hope. I see promise. I see people really developing and creating. So I think the reality is that that's the case and has been the case since the dawn of time. Oh, yeah. You it's know, subtle. It depends on where you look. Yeah. You know? Well, and the other thing to remember too is that shadow speaks to shadow and light speaks is that kind of like it's got kind of like victims or not victims but um misery loves company yeah yeah but but a person who's in shadow so someone who's expressing okay so their child has come out right and it's in shadow and it, it is yelling and it's arguing and it's, you know, like what it's really wanting to say is my needs have not been met and I'm in a very scary place right now, but it doesn't do that, right? We, I mean, anybody mm-hmm. who's had children knows that when they're tired, when they're sleepy, they're not telling you I'm tired and I'm sleepy. I mean, you, you have to right. kind of figure that out. And um, yeah, so when a child, you know, when that child archetype comes up in shadow, it's going to speak to, it's almost speaking the same language as another child in, in shadow. And so those, so we have two kind of interactions between archetypes. We talked before about how we tend to attract the archetypes that are going to heal us um, Mm -hmm. or bring us, not really heal us, but bring us back into some sort of harmony. But you also have a situation where you have shadow talking to shadow. And, um, and so so that's Twitter. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, definitely. Where everybody's sort of jumping on and you're like, okay, it has the whole world gone crazy, my, (laughs) right? And so, and and I I guess the solution really is it's a subtle shift, but it's, and we've had this conversation so many times is, is how do you show up the best in the world? And it's through doing your own work and being Mm -hmm. aware of how you respond to things. And so you might not necessarily be able to fix the world, but you can fix yourself. And, um, and your small little part of the world. And that actually has so much more impact than I think people even realize. And and it, it is, it has a magnificent effect because when you are communicating through your light aspect, through your, your archetypal lighter aspects that are healed, um, it, brings other archetypes that you're communicating with up as well and um so yeah that's the really important part is to recognize sometimes when people are getting into that mode 
on social media and it's very, it's, it, and some people that it's on both sides, right? It's not, it's not one side or another. We're seeing people on both sides that get into this very vicious, angry, hateful state. And then it's like, mm-hmm. people start jumping on and it seems like it's contagious. And in some ways it is, but it is just that shadow talking to shadow, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, well, it's kind of like the light, um, you know, a light at night will attract moths to the flame sort of you oh know, that like, too definitely you know yeah. that you've got that going on but then you've got people who feel justified in how they're feeling because they're seeing other people on such a magnanimous scale scale feeling the same way but they're not those aren't healed people yeah yeah exactly or people who've necessarily done their work and it's you know I mean I made a post a while back about the fact that you know there are people in positions of power who are technically our leaders who have a lot of soul searching to do and a lot of inner work that they've never, never done, or it doesn't appear that they've done. Well, we've had this conversation that at a soul level you have, I mean, we have different, we only look at physical maturity and really based on age, Mm -hmm. but we have so many other levels of maturity that we, we don't even really factor in. There's emotional, there's mental, there's spiritual. And unfortunately, a lot of the people that are in power are, at a toddler, maybe child mm-hmm. level of maturity. And and so you have a lot of people. And then so when you have that happening, it's almost like the inmates running the asylum, yeah. or yeah. you know, or like the teacher has stepped out of the room and the whole room erupts into chaos, you know. You know what I'm talking about, right? Yeah. Like when the teacher would leave and she'd leave one kid in charge and the whole room just went bonkers. <laughs> um, that's kind of what is what has happened. So we need to bring those people back who have that, um, that higher level of maturity that can influence. And that's part of the problem that we're seeing in society, because it's not just the political leaders, it's teachers in schools. And I don't mean that across the board, Mm -mm. but we do have teachers that are, um, they are almost that devouring mother archetype expressed, being expressed through teaching. And you can have obviously the devouring father as well, but it's that idea that I'm going to feed off of my students to, um, boost myself or make, my, yeah. yeah, yeah, exactly. Or to justify myself in some way, I'm going mm-hmm. to impart my belief system or my, um, my wishes because through them, I am getting the attention and the respect that I think I deserve or something along those lines. Right. Yeah. Or the validation. Yes. Validation. And, that's and the word. So anybody who's, who's, <laughs> who knows who they are and has um, has some level of maturity knows that you don't go to a child mm-hmm. to be validated. Mm-mm. That is the devouring mother, father archetype. We get our validation from ourselves. And that's something that you can only develop on your own. And so as humans, we don't like to be challenged. We, we do like the easy road. And um, unfortunately, that's, I think, you know, why the shadow feel so prevalent right now. Mm-hmm. Um, well, I think just but, talking about this, Sheila, and just bringing these words forward and giving them kind of some clarity and a definition and can help people maybe recognize when they're seeing things or even yes, notice when yeah. they're seeing it in themselves. So it's all about that conscious awareness, you know, that if you can put a word to it, put an explanation to it, recognize that 
you are a complex being and there's multiple factors at play. Sometimes you don't even realize Mm -hmm. why you're feeling the way you are, but until you can kind of start sitting with it and maybe noticing your own patterns and your own reaction to things, like where is that coming from? What is it that you're trying to protect? What is it you're trying to avoid looking at that all of this makes makes for a very interesting life experience, in my opinion. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Well, and the thing is, once you see it, once you start to develop that sense of looking at things archetypally and, um, you know, are they behaving in a more shadowy manner or a more light conscious manner? Once you see it, you just see it. Yeah. And so that's, that is a positive, I think, in that, you know, it does seem to be like the shadow is so prevalent right now. But once you see it, it just, it doesn't ever go away. And so it's really just a matter of kind of getting people to, um, not that you can get a person to that point, but we can get ourselves to that point. And, and then through interacting with others in a more positive way, um, it helps them. It's a ripple effect. We all need to be loved. Mm -hmm. Oh, definitely. And we need to be loved and accepted. I mean, the problem with the shadow aspect is they it um, it's almost like a, a negative spiral that yeah. can happen. But if you're interacting with someone with compassion, I might not like how you're behaving, but I understand that your your child has now entered mm-hmm. the room because in some way you feel threatened. It when we can look at it that way, it doesn't make it so confrontational. Yes. Oh my gosh, I know. It, if if anything, it just makes you take a deep breath and relax a little bit more. It's not like you yourself have yeah. to show up in the exact same way. You can just be like, they need some space. I'm giving them space, you know, and right. don't take it personally. It's not well, about you. Almost every single incident in your entire life, if you ever just sit and think about it, it's not really about you necessarily. It's about them having an experience related to something you said or did or how you behaved or whatever. I mean, I'm not saying that people can't push right. buttons and trigger and know how to do it on purpose. <laughs> That's definitely, but it still comes back to how you respond. Oh, absolutely. And and are you using it to your full advantage? And like you said, we don't take like when our children, and I always just kind of put it back in the framework of, I mean, and I have the the benefit of being able to look at it from the perspective of a mother with her children. When my children, um, you know, they're a little bit older now, but when my children were younger and they were hungry or tired, I didn't take Mm -hmm. that personally. I just knew that they needed something. And so what could I do to, to provide what they needed, knowing that that would remedy the situation Mm -hmm. that was happening. And it's really no different. I mean, I don't want to call people children, but I mean, sometimes that is the part of us that comes up and it happens for all of us. And, um, and so when we can, when we can look at someone in that manner that it, like you said, it's not personal. Um, it just, this is a situation that we need to deal with and you obviously need something and let's see what we can do about that. Um, it's so much more constructive and it, it moves us in a positive direction. Yeah, no, I agree. And I think that tips the scales right towards, more positivity and light yes. and, and awareness and, and connectivity too. I mean, it, it connects us more when we have that common goal and, and, and common sort of mm-hmm. like we, I think at the end of the day, if we were to take every single person who has expressed themselves on the internet <laughs> and really sit down face to face with them and say, what are your needs? I think everybody's would be very similar. Yeah. It, it just would, you know, the oh, human, right. the human condition yeah. has not changed really. I would imagine since 
I mean, I can't say with certainty because I was not alive during the cave times and, and, you know, thousands of years ago, but especially in our modern times, I mean, our, our, our needs really haven't changed. It's just the environments that we find ourselves in and the circumstances that we, we are in and the um, resources at our, at our fingertips that obviously has been the biggest factors that have changed and created sometimes more chaos than, than calm. Yeah. That made me think, I don't know how long you want to go, but um, I don't want to take you over too far, but that made me think too, that sometimes we do talk about needs, right? We, we are tribal. Um, We're a tribal species um, for better or worse. And sometimes the, the archetypes themselves put us in a particular tribe. And then what we could get in the mistake of doing is that tribe is all we see and and we just align ourselves completely. Mm-hmm. So do you know what yeah, I'm talking no, about? Yeah, no, I do. And it's like you politically, I mean, those are archetypes too, even though we not one we would necessarily put in our chart. But it's like I, I have to be all in with this tribe because if I'm not, I might get kicked mm-hmm. out. And in tribally speaking, we need we we want to feel a sense of belonging somewhere. Yeah. And um and that plays a factor as well. It makes me think of the movie Divergent. And how yeah. you have to be in one of those particular areas to uh, benefit society as a whole. And you mm-hmm. can't have multiple ways of existing. You have to just pick one or your brain is just in one and that's it. Um, yeah. and, and that's where I think sometimes people get in that very rigid way of thinking because mm-hmm. in order to um, take risk and be vulnerable – thinking in different ways or looking at it more critically or recognizing that there's not always a black and white answer is scary because that means that they might not be able to, like you said, they might not be able to stay where they think they belong or feel like they belong and nobody wants to get kicked out. Nobody wants to be in the middle of nowhere without food, water and access to shelter, you know? (laughs) And yeah. Yeah. Well, and sometimes we, but we, sometimes we have to be willing, by the way, that's a great movie series. It is. If anybody has not watched it, (laughs) it is so good. Um, Yeah. I recommend it. It's Veronica Roth that wrote the books. Mm. Um, That is such, and it actually is, I'm so glad you brought that up because it it illustrates in a very basic way, everything we're talking about with archetypes and Mm -hmm. yeah, but if you watch the movies, you see why you, it's not ideal to have, you know, to align yourself with one archetype and its tribe of people of associated people. Um, mostly because we're not one dimensional like that. And mm-hmm. that one tribe will never fulfill all of our needs. So we almost have to be willing. And that's part of like the dark night of the soul, right? Where you're, you're alone and you're, mm-hmm. um, you know, that's why tribes used to do uh, walkabouts, but what was the, there's another, it's an initiation, like a, a yeah. you know what I'm talking I mean, about? Oh, there's, there's lots of different ones. There's the one where, yeah, you're left, you kind of go into the woods. By right, yourself, your right. And um, it's almost a shame that we don't do that anymore because in a way that's this whole thing we're talking about requires that sense of I'm going to step out on my own, letting go of all my attachments and I'm going to see that I'm, I'm totally okay. Mm -hmm. And then when you come back, you don't, you don't have to draw so much on 
well on one on the survival archetypes to keep you safe you know that you're safe mm-hmm. um so when i think that's yeah that's kind of probably going no, too far not but. at all i think that's a good point to make because we don't have those sorts of um rites of passages in our society anymore i mean there's plenty of discussion about that in some books i've read over the years um there's one called um uh i'm going to look it up real quick and tell me if you're you need to go oh no i'm I good i'm good too. okay Michael Garion. I'm going to look him up real quick. The Purpose of Boys, I think is the name of the yes, book. Yes, yes. I think you I'm actually gave sure me a copy right. of that book or okay. recommended yeah, it at is. least. But yeah, yeah, we um, don't have yeah, rites so- of passages anymore. Not mm-hmm. really. The, the interesting thing, though, is that, and so going back to the mother archetype, the mother does have well, actually really too, you have the rite of passage. They're built in to a woman's body. So you have the rite of passage of, of puberty starting the menstrual cycles. And then you have, well, three, I guess. And then you have the rite of passage taking you into motherhood, which is birth. Right. And then yeah. you have menopause, which is the final rite of passage taking you into um, the crone phase. And men, unfortunately, don't really have those same rites of passages built into into their just the, their very existence. Their physiology, right, almost, right? Right. Like just that. Yeah. Okay. And so that might be well, one reason why I think a lot of tribes focused on rites of passage for men. Um, but I think not every woman's going to decide to be a mother. And so it, it really is important for us to figure out our own rites of passage and how do we, sometimes it can just be a psychological journey where, well, and a lot of times, unfortunately, we, we just have them that happen. Um, a dark night of the soul. So when my husband passed, that was a dark night of the soul and it, Mm. and it was a rite of passage in that we were a partnership. And then I had to figure out how to do it on my own. And that was a really, and nobody could do that. People could help, but nobody could Mm -hmm. help me come to terms with that. Right. Not, Mm -mm. not my inner world. And that is the type of, I mean, it's like, makes it sound like everybody needs to suffer. And that's not what I'm saying. But when you do have that dark night of the soul there, it does create of its own accord, that rite of passage. And that yeah. can bring a lot of these archetypes into their full embodiment. It's, um, you know, and it can almost do it in a way that sometimes nothing else can, but it's, um, I don't know, I kind of lost my train of thought no, there. But I, 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 you, you, you hit on it and it's true. I mean, it's not that we're trying to say you have to suffer and we want to make you suffer. It is that life is about the mixture of joy and suffering and it's yeah. going to happen one way or the other. If you know, and that's, that's one of the things I've said to my children and, and I keep this in the forefront of my own mind is that every single human on this planet is on that wheel of pain and suffering and yes. joy and elation. Yes. And just because you see people on joy and elation doesn't mean they haven't been on right. the wheel of pain and suffering and vice versa. And so trying to remember that just because you're seeing one aspect of their lives doesn't mean that's their entire life and you don't know what they've had to do to get there. Right. So just to keep remembering that really it's about you and your learning and what you can add to your, your own understanding and then your own value day in and day out. Um, one piece I wanted to go back to was when you mentioned the rite of passages for women and then going into the menopause phase and the crone phase, isn't there something 
in the shaman idea or experience, or maybe it's just um, indigenous cultures, there's women, they, they, they turn to the elders, particularly the women mm-hmm. after mm-hmm. they've gone through menopause. Yeah. Is that correct? Am I remember that right? That okay. is. Yeah. What, and what a, a lot of times, um, oh gosh, I'm not even sure. I'm not even sure I can speak um, completely knowledgeably about that. <laughs> um, I just encourage anybody to look this up on their own. But my understanding of it is that women who were, um, were still bleeding, so still in childbearing years, and I'm sure there's a lot of reasons for this, right? Um, number one, they wanted women. Well, indigenous societies, so backing up, indigenous societies didn't have as many children as European societies tended to. And there was a, and there's okay. differences. Um, European families were t- trying to tend farms, family farms, and they needed the hands, right? Whereas indigenous communities tended to be more integrated. So it wasn't divided up by families the same way Europeans divided. And they would have fewer children. So they, they would have fewer children within the entire tribe. And then the entire tribe would take part in the raising of them. But mm. so they had adequate i mean more than we can probably imagine mother archetypes to nurture them and father archetypes to teach them the skills that they needed so um so that might have been part of it just because the women were so involved in the rearing of children um not that they can't be after menopause but but the other part of that that is um as far as i know is that they could not be medicine women while they were bleeding. And there, I don't remember the exact reason for that. I mean, it was something about the way they would show up kind of in the, the unseen realms, you know, where a shaman would, would journey to, to retrieve medicine for the tribe. Um, it impacted the, the cycle of bleeding would impact that. And so a lot of times they couldn't become medicine women until after um, mm. they had gone through menopause. When I think about it from a protective state, it almost would seem as if those who were still within childbearing years had a bit of vulnerability to them mm-hmm. because of their need to protect the children. Mm-hmm. That sort of innate, like, I have to focus my energy and attention on the children and I can't necessarily focus on the needs of the entire tribe or do right. something outside of the realm of right here and right now. Right. Yeah. Um, and I mean, and then and if you look in modern day culture and sort of the expression of the woman in menopause, it's the, I don't give a shit kind of mentality, yeah. <laughs> like yeah. sort of the, you know, like, I don't care what people think about me and yeah. I am fine in myself and I know who I am and it is fine if you don't like me. So there's a little bit of that like saucy sassiness that kind of comes oh, yeah. with some people after they go through the childbearing years and then come out on the other side. Yeah. So I wonder if there's a little piece of that in there. Well, and I mean, from my own experience, I'll tell you, one of my children really pushed me. Um, of course, you learn from every single one of your children because they're different, mm-hmm. right? Um, but I have one child in particular who really pushed me to, we came together archetypally um, and it really evolved my mother archetype because what was happening was we we would have never made it <laughs> the way the way that we started out, right? And that's, I mean, that's mm. what I was saying earlier is we challenge each other archetypally. And so we often think about that as partners, but sometimes it's a parent child. And um, we'll just say that this particular child was very headstrong 
And, you know, there was no amount of that I could put into that that was going to change their mind. And so it required me to become or to Mm. develop a different aspect of motherhood that was a lot softer and um, more open-minded, if that makes sense. And so we do mature through um, that. And that's why it's such an important rite of passage, right? Because it, it involves an evolution. And so we, we change as mothers. And quite frankly, if you, and I'm not fully through it, we're never fully through it when we're mothers. Um, But man, you get through that. (laughs) I think you probably are just like, okay, I, I did that. (laughs) And they're like, I am pretty much good to go. I can handle anything that's thrown my way. Right. Um, I think most, most Mm -hmm. parents can relate (laughs) at some point you come up against, um, come up against that. It's, um, there's nothing that will change you like being a parent. Yeah. Well, it's like they said, they put the mirror up and you really have to see yourself in through the eyes of, of, and and, you know, my kids, we joke and you know that we were very silly and we joke with each other and they'll say stuff sometimes. I'm like, I just said that. Oh my God. Okay. Sorry. (laughs) Or they're like, yeah. Okay, mom, I'm being a little sassy. You need some food. I'm like, what? And then, then you, you know, cause I'm just in my own mind and doing my thing. And then, but my behavior is doing another thing. And so, yeah, no, they do. They, 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 they call us out. And then if we're, and that's so important mm-hmm. to allow that. Right. Mm-hmm. Because I mean, even, even, uh, husband, wives or, or partners or, um, teacher, student, mm-hmm. I mean, any kind of dynamic like that, if, if you make it one-sided, um, and you're shutting, you're basically shutting down the archetype that's trying to give you what you need to evolve. Right. And so it is important to, because they will, they'll tell us. And I mean, you know, they're usually not very shy about it. So (laughs) (laughs) they will tell you. They don't have a bunch of baggage to uh, get to to keep them saying what's on their mind. So, well, listen, I, I don't think we adequately expressed what, you do and how you show up in the world. And I want us to spend some time doing that. So can you explain to people what you do with your business? And like you mentioned earlier, if somebody wanted to do a session with you, even though they might not be able to do one physically with you, that's still an option to do something virtually. So will you just explain what you do and how, and of course, like you said earlier, you were a chemist and you had um, a physical autoimmune um, issue and you were less than impressed, I guess, if I'm, I hope I'm not putting words in your mouth about how the standard medical establishment was handling things. Um, And so I will just leave it at that. And then you can tell us kind of like what you do now. Okay. Um, Gosh, I I don't know why this is always so hard for me to put, put it into words. Um, (laughs) But yeah, so I mean, Western medicine just wasn't working for me. It was either ineffective or I was responding, um, not well to it. I'm just kind of having adverse side effects and started exploring some different things like, um, uh, herbs and homeopathy and that I saw an improvement, but it still wasn't there. And, um, I just remember one day coming across, um, this woman, uh, and I wish I could, if I wish I remembered her name so I could give her credit, but, um, she, she also had an auto autoimmune condition. And, uh, she just posted one day on Facebook that she had had this, um, realization that she would never get fully healthy until she learned to love herself. Hmm. 
And that just opened up this whole um, idea to me or, or um, like a portal or whatever. Almost. <laughs> uh, yeah. I mean, it's bigger than an idea, yeah. um, but, but that we aren't just physical. We have all of these other layers and I was only focused on one. Mm. And so that um, I think from there, I, um, and I was exposed to it cause I would go to herbal conferences and things like that. Um, I was exposed to shamanism and that started coming in just really strongly for me. So I do a lot of work um, in the shamanic tradition and, uh, and uh, let's see, I mean, just general energy healing. So Reiki is something most people probably have heard of. Uh, gosh, see, I know and it's hard. <laughs> it's blah, hard blah, to blah, do. Blah, blah. It's, it is. It's like asking somebody, "Who are you?" I'm like, "Okay, how long do you have? <laughs> Which dragon right, am I got?" Right. I mean, all the different things. Um. So yeah, I, I do a lot of work with the the shamanism, the the different the different techniques, but predominantly. Um, teaching people. So in the traditional shamanic tradition, and this is, this is relevant, it's going to sound like I'm going way far afield, but in indigenous societies, the shaman would actually do the healing on behalf of. Mm. So like, for instance, if there was a point, like um, every, they called everything poison, <laughs> you know, like even if it was energetic, but they would take on the poison, transmute and transform, um, transform it. And then accomplish the healing on behalf of um the tribe or uh the person or whatever the situation was that has shifted um for our whole world right now because and so we have a lot of healers that that um want to do healing on behalf of someone else um but it's not it's not really effective anymore and i think part of that is because we are in this state of flux um, humanity is, and and I personally believe, even though it looks so um, chaotic and and crappy right now, I do think we're evolving. Mm. I think we're in the phase where we're doing that spring cleaning, where you just pull everything out, mm -hmm. um, and <laughs> you have that moment of freak out, like, oh my gosh, this isn't what I was trying to accomplish. But once everything is out, then you can really start to sort through yeah. it and what needs to go and what can be donated, what you know. Uh, you know, putting everything back in, in these more organized, um, more organized fashion. And so we're in, we're in this and there's, there's so much work that needs to be done that healers cannot really heal on behalf of another person, the way that indigenous, like it would happen in an indigenous, indigenous society. Mm. And so now what healers um, I, I believe are being called to do is to help people learn how to heal themselves and there is no better healer than the self, right? Because the self um, is the only one capable of really knowing what's going on in that interior world. And so part of what I do is I teach other people how to do, um, for instance, a shamanic journey to get their own information or to contact, um, you know, another, another realm of archetypes, um, their power animals or they're spirit guides. And so these are all also archetypal patterns that we can use um, for insights or, um, or, or whatever we need to. So that's part of what I do. And then I also do um, uh, QHHT, which is quantum hypnosis healing technique. And uh, it's from Dolores Cannon. It's what Dolores Cannon uh, developed and has written all of her many, many books mm -hmm. on. Um, 
but it's, it's again, another technique that takes, takes someone into a hypnotic state and um, where they're able to retrieve information um, for themselves. And then um, it's recorded so they can listen to it and go back into that state. But um, I guess another story that might be worth telling is um, the story of my, when I had melanoma, which by the way, I I just did five years. I just did the fast five year part. And so the story is just to illustrate that we can heal our own bodies is that uh, five years ago, uh, just slightly more than five years ago, I was diagnosed with melanoma. And um, I'm, like I said, I'm kind of not a big fan of Western medicine, but I had family members that are. And so we had to come to a little bit of a compromise. And so I agreed to get the surgery to have it removed. Um, but I wasn't willing to do anything else. And, um, and in the meantime, I was like, okay, so I will do that. But in the meantime, as I, it took like four weeks to even do the surgery. In the meantime, I'm going to do my own thing which is working with my body to heal it. And, um, and so when they did the surgery, they, because of the way melanoma grows, it likes, it grows deep, which is why it's so dangerous. Um, but it can also, um, spread and, and create these satellites. And so when they take, when they surgically remove, they take this huge section and, but they do pathology on the entire thing. Um, just checking to see if it had spread. And so my original, my original biopsy was confirmed by three different pathologists. So it was definite that I had it. Um, but then by the time they did that surgery and they did the pathology on that section, there was no trace of cancer whatsoever. Mm-hmm. Mm, and, so cool. um, and I, re- yeah. And I remember the nurse calling me and she was, she was in, in person. She was not a very excited person. I mean, that's a hard job I can imagine. And uh, but she was very excited when she called me and I couldn't even quite figure out what was happening. Um, but she said, uh, you know, there was no trace. And I said, oh, so you got it all. She said, no, you're, you don't understand. There was nothing there. Oh we never, ever see this. Mm. It, it's just a miracle. And so I just, you know, so it's possible to heal ourselves. And part of that is understanding who you are. And accepting that um, who we are doesn't always look pretty, but it's still something that we can leverage if we use it in the right way. Mm-hmm. And so that's, um, you know, how archetypes can be so powerful. Um, and that that is something else that I, I do. Yes. <laughs> so to bring it back around <laughs> to that. Um, I do, I do offer the archetypal consultations according to Carolyn Mace's her methodology, which I think is, you know, it's not the only way to look at it, but it is a very interesting, powerful way. Um, she, you can either do like who your core group of archetypes are. Actually, that's where you start. Um, so you always need to know who your core um, archetypes are. But then as you're going through, like there's one called Journey to Transformation. And it's basically, if you want to, if you're here and you want to get to some new place, it gives you um, an archetypal pattern of what that journey looks like and how to leverage all these. And that includes, you know, so your origin, your chart of origin is 12. The journey of transformation uses 36 archetypes. Oh my gosh. And it's, and it's a lot, but it's broken down into different. um, So in your family, 
you have these three archetypes and this is the journey from one to the other. And it, it's so cool because it gives you like it, you realize how many allies you have and how much, how much, how many tools mm-hmm. that you have at your disposal. If you only know, if, if you can acknowledge who and what they are. So it's like the acceptance of, um, without judgment. And then, and then how do you bring them into their best light and utilize them. And I mean, that's what we all need really at the end of the day, right? We, we need to be not judged Mm -hmm. (laughs) and, and seen for our profound potential and how amazing each of us is. And, um, you know, the best practice is to do that on yourself. And, you know, the good starting point is to do that through the archetypes. Well, I think that's fascinating. And it is, I love the this, I mean, well, I love your story and the fact that you took the opposite approach of what we know that stress can create uh, illness and negative thoughts can cause us to be sick. And you did the opposite mm-hmm. and you're like, what I can do the positive approach and heal myself. And, right, you know, right. and I think people underestimate the power of their ability to to help their themselves or mind. It's like, you know, what we said, well, maybe we didn't say this in this conversation, but it's been said multiple times that we are our thoughts in a lot of ways. Oh yeah. And how we think and what we process and and, and run over in our minds almost can come, can be reality is becomes Mm -hmm. our reality. So I love that story. And it's just a, it's just a good, good reminder, you know, that we're more powerful than we give ourselves credit for. Yes. And, and I think it needs to be said too, even though we're going so far is that this, and it's not conspiracy theory, but the, the system does not want us to know how powerful we are. So we can't use the system to, it's why we have to go in and develop and heal ourselves because the system doesn't promote that. Um, it's about conformity, um, and, and rules and, you know, kind of making everybody the same. And so I think, you know, part of our healing journey is that we have to be willing to let go of that, um, and, and let go of feeling like that's our parachute in some way. Um, because it's not, it's ultimately really holding us back and you have to just trust that, um, like I said, everybody is so hard on themselves. It would just be amazing if people realized really how much potential and strength um, that each of us has and the capacity to love. It's just, you know, we haven't necessarily been given that opportunity. And it is an opportunity, I think, that we have to grab for ourselves and and make it happen. Thank you so much for listening. If you'd like to schedule a consult with Sheila, she is graciously offering listeners 15% off. Use the code LGB15 at checkout. The link to her site and offerings will be in the show notes. In addition, the link to the Barefoot Playground, the kickoff event on February the 16th at 6 p.m. Eastern Standard Time will be linked in the show notes as well. As always, stay curious, stay connected, and stay aware. Until next time.